Well, I am Pastor Nathan. I'm our student pastor here. I'm preaching this morning in place of Pastor Dennis, uh, our senior pastor, because he is uh, still preaching this morning, but not here. He is down at uh, a church named First Baptist Leander. In fact, that was the church that uh, licensed him to the ministry uh, quite a bit of a time ago, and they are celebrating their 80th anniversary this week. And so in celebration of that, they invited Dennis to come uh, down there and preach. And so he's there this morning preaching. Um, and so you have me, but I want to start this morning uh, by talking a little bit about murder mysteries. Does anyone like murder mystery books or shows? Do we have some Dateline fans out there, maybe? Um, yeah, see, we, we have this fascination. We find that in kind of a, a, a lot of different uh, areas. Some of you read them, right? Murder mystery books. I, I can think of all the... the it, and when I was in elementary school, we had like Nancy Drew books across the shelf and things like that. And so there's always this fascination with uh, these murder mysteries of trying to guess who it is. Anyone have that? When we'd watch shows growing up uh, as a family, sometimes we'd watch like a murder mystery, like a CSI or something maybe. And uh, mom was always trying to guess who it was. And it's in any movie, any show that there was like a big reveal of a villain. Mom was the one who was calling it like two minutes into the movie. She's like, it's that person. We're like, they have an alibi. She's like, I don't care. It's them, right? And so we, we have this kind of fascination. We like the guessing game. Uh, I, I have a, a little thing that I do. Every time I go on vacation uh, with my wife, we, we, we'll go away for a few days to a week. And I, I, before we leave, I'll go to a bookstore and I'll buy an Agatha Christie novel. Does anyone know Agatha Christie, I hope? I got at least Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Um, she's, she's largely considered one of the most successful murder mystery writers out there. And so I'll, I'll grab an Agatha Christie book and, and I'll go and, and I'll read that throughout the uh, vacation. And Agatha Christie is always fun because she has this tendency to have multiple plot twists. We always love a good plot twist, right? It's always exciting to have, like, you think you know, but then, the, oh, I didn't know at all, right? And Agatha Christie likes to do that, like, two or three times in any given book. You get the last few chapters, and, and you're like, I know who the bad guy is. And then she's like, no, it's this guy. And you're like, oh, I didn't guess that guy. And she's like, just kidding, it's also this guy. And you're like, there's two? You know, and so Agatha Christie often is, is known for that, this kind of plot twist thing. And in today's passage, I'm going to argue that we actually see kind of a plot twist. John is uh, he's dealing with these, these people. And so you have to understand when we look at today's passage specifically, and we're in 1 John 2, 18 to 27, John's writing to a specific people in a specific place, all right? We, we have it as scripture, and so he's also writing to us. But remember, he's got particular people in mind at this time period, and they're dealing with a lot of different things. We're gonna talk more about that, but one of the things is they've kind of got their focus on this, this villain, right? They're trying to figure out who it is, much like we often are today. That villain is the, the dreaded word antichrist, which, which we're gonna see today. It, it, you talk about the, the lesson on anxiety, Matthew, and I thought, how ironic is it that we have a lesson on anxiety this morning and Dennis goes off to some other church and preaches and I've got to preach on the Antichrist. That's, that's an anxiety-inducing, y'all. But uh, no, I, I, I kid. We're going to walk through it together. We're going to be all right. But these, these people that John's writing to were worried about that, much like we often are. They were worried about the Antichrist. And so we're going to walk through that and see what John has to say to them and, and, and what John has to say to us. And so we've been going through this series in First John. You can see on our banners in the graphic, the Lord of light and love. As we've been working through that, we, we pay specific attention to those themes, light and love. It's all throughout the book. And um, uh, this morning, we'll, we'll continue that. Last week, we looked specifically at the warning that John gives against loving the things of the world, right? One of the things we learned throughout this book, love has to be placed properly, right? We must love 
the Lord. He's the Lord of light and love. And so we, we choose to love him. And so we're trying to live uh, obediently to his commands and walk in the light. And so this week, as we look at, uh, like I said before, chapter two, verses 18 through 27, if you're wanting to turn to it uh, yourself, John mentions that dreaded popular word antichrist. And we're going to try to figure out uh, what he's getting at. But the tone of this passage is really uh, one of warning and one of encouragement. Okay. And so we want to kind of pay attention to both of those this morning. So if you would uh, turn in your, your Bibles, if you have them, or it's going to be on the screen. First um, John chapter two, beginning in verse 18. Read with me. Scripture says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. And who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. And what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as, it has taught, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So normally, on especially as I preach uh, to the youth on Wednesday nights, my habit when I approach scripture oftentimes to read it outright for us and then kind of walk back through it. But today, I, I really just want to point out three themes that appear all throughout the passage. So we're going to kind of take a look at this passage that we just read in three different ways. Okay, so uh, walk with me through this as we explore these three themes. But the three themes are the Antichrist, an anointing, and remaining. You heard those three words uh, over and over again in that passage as, as they're repetitive, and, and there's reason for that. And let's just go ahead and start with the big one that we get all nervous and worked up about. Let's talk about the Antichrist. Um, in verses 18 and 19 and 22 and 23, we see him mention that. Now, this is really interesting. John starts right out the gate here. In verse 18, he, he mentions Antichrist, and he kind of says it weird. He says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Uh, looking at the original language there, there's no uh, definite article. There's no the. There's also not really an a. You can maybe try to imply some of those, but he almost uses it like we would use a name, right? If I were to say, Dennis is coming home today, right? That makes sense because I've used his name. I haven't said a Dennis. I haven't said the Dennis. If any of you are referring to Dennis as the Dennis, don't do that. Okay? <laughs> but, but here in this passage, we say, Antichrist is coming. So I, I think what's happening, right? Again, he's talking to these people who have, much like us, already begun to develop this idea, this theology of an Antichrist. So here in this very first reference, I do think John is referencing a singular, individual, capital A, Antichrist. Okay, and That's what I think he's doing. But every time after that, he... he refers to it plural. That's kind of our plot twist, is that we're all like, Antichrist, yeah, no, heard of him. Yeah, we're trying to guess and figure out who that guy is. And he's like, but there's many Antichrists. And we're like, what? 
What? What are you talking about, John? You know, and, and that's where we get this kind of twist. And so he, he's talking to people who see it much like we do, where we're trying to figure out who this Antichrist is. In fact, throughout history, many people have been accused of and named as the Antichrist because we're we're, we're, we're very human, y'all. We, we're just fascinated with this concept. We want to know who it is. And there's good reasons for that. And there's bad reasons for that, right? And so we're always concerned with this. And he kind of wants to, to turn the tables and say, y'all are worried about this, but I want you not to forget to be worried about this, okay? And so understand that as, as I don't know if any of you were hopefully coming here today knowing the passage ahead of time and you're hoping that maybe I'll go ahead and name somebody today. Um, I, I won't. I did joke with Matthew earlier that I should just get up here and just point to somebody in the room. You, it's you! But that would really induce anxiety. Um, we're not going to do that. Um, but John is like, look, you're worried about him. I need you to be worried about these other things too. And so the, the Antichrist idea develops largely out of Second Thessalonians and Revelation. There's some stuff in Daniel. We talk about the man of lawlessness and the beast. And you have this whole idea. Uh, in fact, in this passage, it's really interesting. Fun fact for you. In the Greek, the word is antichristos. This is the only time in scripture here in 1 John 2 that we actually see that word, antichrist. It's, it's very clearly, I think, associated with man of lawlessness and the beast and all of this antichrist theology that's developing. And they're trying to figure it out just like we're trying to figure out. And he mentions him once and then he begins to use it in a plural sense. So this is kind of what I've already mentioned to you. Think about it in this passage this way for me. He's kind of mentioned capital A antichrist, right? The bad guy. And many antichrists, lowercase a, plural. And that has to do with kind of this, this spirit of the antichrist that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about in a little bit. But it's likely because he's dealing with a church split, right? John is writing to people who, who have a church has, has kind of tragically split, and it's because of a major disagreement. It's not church carpet that they're worried about, uh, that they split over, y'all. It is, it is a, it, it's an issue, a disagreement that they have on the divinity of Christ, that is a proper reason to, to split on. If we can't agree on whether or not Christ is divine, whether or not Christ is God, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to fellowship with you very well, right, Matthew? <laughs> We're, we got to come to an agreement there. And that's the issue that they're facing. And so really those who have left, John here tells us, they were never really one of us. They, were, they, they didn't belong to us, and that's why they didn't remain. In fact, them leaving is, is showing us that. It's, it's almost a gift to us now that we know that. They leave, they're proven that they're, their faith isn't genuine. They don't believe Christ is divine. You might think about it this way. Those who, who leave the church and still claim the status of Christian, we see that all the time. That's very relevant today. We see people uh, leave either our church and go to another church or another church come to our church or all over the place. And th those are, you know, all for varied reasons. There's plenty of good reasons, y'all, to God might call you to a different local body. But to leave the, the capital C church at large, to leave faith in Christ, all of that behind, you know, or, or at least... In truth, you do, and you change the gospel in all these ways, but you might still claim Christian or say you used to be. And, um, well, I'll, I'll narrow it down even further for you. Let's say you have two people. You come upon, upon two people. They're having an argument. This is totally rare. You would never find this anywhere. Two people having an argument over whether or not something is in Scripture, right? some phrase out there. Maybe it's not in Scripture. Maybe it is. And if one of them's a Christian, a known Christian, one of them's not, you're probably more likely to believe the Christian, Right? So hypothetically, as a Christian, they're hopefully reading their Bible every day, and they're more likely, therefore, to know what's in the Bible. But that's kind of a bad way of, of arguing. That's, it's, you're just assuming that they're right based upon that. 
You can't do that. It's, it's what's called an argument from authority. And we see it all the time, especially today in, uh, in our culture and all over Facebook. Uh, but it's a very poor way to argue because just because someone comes from the church does not mean they were of the church. Just because someone comes from the church doesn't mean that they were ever really a part of it. And that's, that's something that, again, we, we see that all the time. We, we see people who have, uh, the popular word now is deconstruction, uh, people who, who are evangelical and they deconstruct their faith and then they coin the term exvangelical. And then they, you know, once, once somebody kind of deconstructs their faith in today's culture, we have to tell everyone about it, ironically proving that they're still very much evangelical. You see that? Because evangelical is telling people. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's a kind of a sad, tragic thing that we see. And it's always interesting that they want to tell all these people and lead people astray. This is the stuff that John's warning us about. It's those who have abandoned the faith, and now they want to lead other people away. It's antichrist. You see that? So that, that's what we see. And so, of course, John's helpful. He just defines it outright for us. He says, the antichrist is the one who denies the father and the son. There it is. There's the big reveal, right? No, it's not, not quite what we're looking for, but it's what he wants to warn us about, that the Antichrist is the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, deny here can mean reject or even uh, disown, right? It, it's, it's this outright denial. Uh, one of my favorite movie series uh, based off an old TV show is Mission Impossible. Do we have any Mission Impossible fans out there? Yeah, a few. <laughs> one of you out there was just like, yeah, but I don't want to admit to that in church. You know, one of the, the, I always love that. If you don't like the movies, you can always watch the show. They're kind of classic and old, but they, they have something in common. They always give a mission to the secret agent, okay? And the secret agent is given this mission and they always say something like, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And then this long spiel on what the mission is, okay? And at the end, they always say, as always, if you or any member of your team is caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Isn't that just so encouraging. It's like, I'm going to send you on a mission. And if you get caught, I am totally denying that I had anything to do with it. Isn't that so sad? That's, that's the idea that we're rejecting uh, them completely denying that we ever knew them. You know, that, that word carries the same kind of connotation here in this passage, right? Those who are simply disavowing the Lord, giving up when it gets tough, you know, I reject the Lord, I deny you completely. You know, that's what John would consider to be an antichrist. He's saying in that plural sense of the word, that's an antichrist, is someone who suddenly opposes Christ. That's what the word means, right? One who opposes Christ. So John speaks as this kind of person as being under the influence of the spirit of the antichrist. And, and I don't want to talk too much this morning about that because he talks more about that in chapter four, and we'll cover that next month. Um, but uh, the spirit of the antichrist, his, his major point here is that the spirit of the antichrist is already here. He says, you're looking for the antichrist but you need to be worried because the spirit of the Antichrist is already here in the world, creating smaller Antichrist all over the place. Those are those that you need to worry about. And he, he's helpful enough to give us the marks of an Antichrist. In verses 22 and 23, he says, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. That is to say that Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Lord. Jesus is not the Savior. And if Jesus is not the one who saves us from our sins, what are we doing here? You know, that's, that makes everything about what we do here pointless if Jesus didn't save us. Paul talks about that in one of his letters. You know, we, we're the most to be pitied. So those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, it's an antichrist, he says. Those who deny that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We see that in John 14, 6. Jesus claims, it, 
Never forget this. Jesus claims he's the only way. We have countless amounts of people in the world who will come up to you and and claim to know what is true. Jesus is the one who comes up and he claims he is true. There's a very big difference there. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So any, you know, Oftentimes, I see this uh, kind of a resurgence in this, uh, this idea lately, universalism, this thought that everyone gets to go to heaven. It's just not true. It's not biblical. It's not, when you look at scripture, that's just not there. Uh, the truth is that Jesus says, I'm the only way. If you pursue another way, I'm sorry, you're left out of the kingdom because you chose not to go with me to the kingdom. So you have to remember that. Remember, there's also an argument here over the divinity of Jesus. You can't simply believe that Jesus was a man right? We couldn't save ourselves. That would defeat the whole uh, argument in Romans. It's just simply not true. We can't save ourselves. Humans can't. We needed God, right? God came down. That's Christ is divine, and they've abandoned the truth for a lie. We, of course, have to be very, very careful about that, and so that's that's this theme of Antichrist at play in the passage, and it, it ties into another theme. Our next theme I want to talk about is the word anointing. We see that over and over again, verse 20, verse 27. Now, There's some confusion and debate here over that word amongst scholars. I won't bore you with that. You can always find me in the hallway later if you're a nerd and you want to talk about it with me. I'd love to. Um, But did you just raise your hand? (laughs) He will, too. He'll come to me tomorrow in the office and be like, can we talk more about it? What did you find? You know, (laughs) Um, there's some confusion and debate here. And the problem is over whether or not this anointing references the Holy Spirit or the Word of God. Okay. Holy Spirit or, or the Word of God, Christ, uh, uh, Scripture that attests to Him. And, and for today's sake, let me just tell you what, what I think. I believe that it's referencing specifically the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're being anointed with the Holy Spirit. However, verse 24 mentions that phrase, you have heard from the beginning, the things you have heard. It's not the only part we see in this passage. We see it, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago we had that in, in our passage for the morning. See, First John talks about that a lot, what you have heard. He's talking about the message the gospel, scripture, the word of God. And it's important to remember that the word of God and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand, okay? Because we have been anointed with the spirit of truth. And that's very important to remember about the Holy Spirit. We have been anointed with the Holy Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, uh, being that spirit of truth, he doesn't contradict the word of God. Think about it, the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God, the word of God ultimately being Christ himself. They're both God. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, the triune God does not contradict or compete with himself. That's not how he works. And so we have to hold Holy Spirit with the word of God. We often have to test the two against each other. And so here's what I mean to get more practical on you. If we don't let the word remain in us, we focus on the Holy Spirit, too much focus on the Holy Spirit, and and we don't uh, really abide in the word, we're not really going to be able to trust the spirit when it moves, okay? We, We always... You know, think of our calling language. We, we, we like to say things like, I'm called to be uh, a youth pastor. I'm called to the minister. I'm called to go be a missionary. Maybe you think, I'm, I think the Lord's calling me to this new job, or the Lord is calling me to, to start a family, or the Lord is calling me away to this other town. All of those things might be true, right? God might be calling you in these different ways. Except that you've got to find a way to, to try that with the Word of God. Like, Calling, you're never going to be called to do something that contradicts the word of God. God will never call me. He's never going to say, Nathan, I want you to be a murderer. Go do it, Nathan. 
you be that masked man. No, right? God's not going to do that. He's not going to call me to be an adulterer. He just won't, right? You, you, some of you may have heard that, that phrase before. The Lord just wants me to follow my heart. And therefore, I can, I can uh, be an adulterer. No, that's stupid. Don't ever believe that, all right? It, you heard it here first. It's stupid, right? <laughs> just, that's just dumb because it contradicts the word of God. Always test what you think the Spirit's calling you to do with the word of God. You can't uh, have one without the other. It's my personal belief that callings really need to be affirmed by both the word of God and the church. Sometimes when we're moving away to a new town, a new job, God will say, no, I want you to stay because of the church. Lord, there's churches out there. I know, but I want you to stay here. Sometimes God will do that to you. You have to wrestle with that, right? He won't do that to all of you, but he might. And so if you can't agree with me on callings have to be affirmed by the church, you at the very least can agree with me that callings have to be affirmed by the word of God. We just see that. That's in scripture. If we don't let the spirit remain in us, right? That was all about the word. If we don't let the Spirit remain in us, we have the Word of God, but we, we ignore the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Word of God will miraculously never convict us. It'll only ever convict those around us. You see that? It, if I, in my Word, I'm studying every day, but I don't trust the Holy Spirit, or I don't read it with others, oftentimes what I'll find is that the Word of God is always talking about my neighbor. He's never talking about me. He's never accusing me of anything. If you're ever curious about your interpretation of Scripture and whether or not you're generally on base or off base, if your interpretation of Scripture never discomforts you, if it never upsets you or convicts you or disturbs you, you're probably ignoring the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit uses His Word to convict us. So we have to hold both of those things. Both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are essential to this anointing that we're talking about. Both have been given to us. Both are to remain in us because we have been anointed with the Spirit of truth. The last theme I want to talk about this morning is that word remain. It's in verses 19, 24, and 27, multiple times, I think six times in just our verses uh, today, but it's all throughout the book of 1 John. It's all throughout. It's a major, major theme. And so let, let's first point out that the word remain, when it's used in this passage, is always used in a plural context. You got to remember, John is writing, okay, to a church. So he's writing to people plurally. It's like when I stand up here and I say, you know, you all look nice today, right? It, it's you is plural. If we were to have a nice Texas translation of this passage, everything would say y'all, okay, because it's, it's plural. If you look in the Greek, it's all plural. And so I don't know if there is a Texas translation out there, but we don't need one. Um, <laughs> we don't. Some of you are way excited about it, and we don't, we don't need one of those. Um, this one's good. Uh, and so uh, it's always in a plural context. The, the idea is he's speaking to a church. The truth is, if we're talking about this remain, remaining with him, we're to remain in him together. It's very difficult to remain in the Lord by yourself. We're always wanting to be tempted and tried away, and we keep each other accountable as a church. Second, the word remain can also mean wait. Also mean can wait, you know, to, to, to stay. We're meant to endure even when we see other Christians, friends, or family members uh, leave us, the church, in Christ behind. Uh, we must endure. We must remain. That's, that's a sad, painful truth is that even when those we love leave Christ behind, we must remain that's difficult. But think about what this church is going through. They're going through a church split. It's very possible that brother and brother have split and father and son have split on this path. That's painful. And it's going to get more and more difficult for us in our current culture because uh, you might eventually begin to feel that. There's countless amounts of Christians, uh, as there were then, as there are now, uh, being led astray. 
Like I said, it's really a symptom of a lack of an original faith there that hasn't held, but you can't be shaken by that. You have to remain, and that might get hard. That's one of the, uh, an ethics book I had to read for a class a, a couple years ago. Uh, it had a whole, uh, whole section on sexuality and the ethics of sexuality, and this is just to pick on one thing. I could pick a few others, but it talked about in that book uh, homosexuality, and it took a non-affirming stance, okay? It looked at Scripture, and said, when we look at Scripture objectively, theologically, through the lens of Christ, we see that we can't affirm homosexuality. That's our church's stance, by the way, if you didn't know that. That's, that's what we believe, right? That's what we see in Scripture. There's a second edition to that book where the author changed his mind, changed his mind. He said, just kidding. Uh, we can affirm it. Uh, and he didn't really have good reasons for it. But the reality was, historically, the author had a family member who had come out. And so all of a sudden, that struggle became very personal for him. See, each of you might begin, or some of you who have already encountered where that struggle gets real personal, where someone leaves the faith for, for that reason or, or a plentitude of others, right? Oftentimes, the reason uh, young adults leave the church is because they feel that the church has failed and hurt them in some way, which is always amazing to me because it's a church full of imperfect people. I expect some of you to fail. <laughs> I expect me to fail from time to time, right? We have to repent, endure, remain. And so, it's going to get harder, especially when family members and friends begin to leave the church. We have to remain because we don't follow them. We follow Christ. And so this, this theme remain is really what the whole uh, passage, I think, is about. John's pointing out that antichrists do not remain because they're under the spirit of the antichrist, okay? They're under the spirit of opposition against Christ. They don't truly believe, and they're changing the gospel, believing in false doctrines. But we, as real Christians, live by the spirit of truth. That's the spirit that we were anointed with, and it's now our responsibility to continue to remain. So how do we remain? That's why John brings up the anointing, because that's the key to the whole remaining thing, is that you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with truth. And if we, if we remember the truth, which we already know, right, what you've heard from the beginning, that's the Word of God. If you hold the Scripture, remain in Scripture— that's key. That's essential. There's also no need to be taught for continued salvation. Now, this is, this is almost a, a side note. Verse 27, he mentions this. He says, as for you, the anointing, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true. And one of the things, he's not saying there that none of y'all have any need for a teacher. You know, Schools are essential. I'm sorry if there's students in the room that were like, oh, I was hoping he was telling me that I don't need a teacher. Uh, you still have to go to school. You still, it's still important to learn and be taught. But the truth is that the gospel doesn't have to get that complicated, right? That, that it's likely their opponents here, the ones who have left the church, were claiming a kind of special knowledge. We have a special knowledge. You're just, you're just ignorant of that special knowledge and you need it to continue to follow Christ, to continue the gospel. But there's no knowledge more special than the gospel itself. There's no knowledge that is life-saving like the story of Christ, right? God uses his word, so church, don't ever be led astray by people arguing that, that you need to study hundreds and hundreds of books in order to really be able to understand the gospel. It's not true. God gave the gospel to all people, not just smart people, not just people who like to study and read books. God gave the gospel to all people. 
It, if you think about it, just, just watch. You know, if you get a chance to, to live a good long time, you might watch a third grader accept Christ. Now, if a third grader accept Christ, just watch their life, okay? And if you, you might find that some third graders who accept Christ, they get to about high school or young adulthood and they decide, you know, I never really did make that decision. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. I want to make it now, okay? You'll see other third graders who completely leave the faith because they, they didn't really have a faith in third grade and they never developed that. You'll see other third graders, though, who accept Christ their Lord and Savior, and if you watch long enough, they're still following Christ in their 40s. Clearly, then, it was a real decision in third grade. And if a third grader can accept the gospel of Christ, then I don't need to read hundreds and hundreds of books just to understand the gospel of Christ, because the Lord moves in his word. One of the songs I really love is called King of Kings. It's written by Hillsong. We've sung it here on occasion. Uh, my favorite verse is actually the fourth one. Um, if you'll notice in some of these songs, it, this would be a fun conversation that you can catch Matthew in the hall about, ask him all about it. Um, it always seems to me that the third verse is often where we see like either the crucifixion or the resurrection of Christ. Oftentimes our, our worship songs will parallel the gospel. There's good reason for that, right, Matthew? There's good reason for that. And oftentimes it seems like you hit the third verse. Any, any of you were approached by Dennis last last week? Where If you notice, he in here, right after the invitation, he looked up at Matthew, who had just sung the third verse, and said, would you sing the third verse again? <laughs> Would you sing the good part? He, he came through the room, and I don't know if he hit if a couple other of you out there witnessed this, but he came up to me. I saw one head non back there. He came, comes up to me right before the third verse last week. He goes, here comes the good part, right? Here comes the resurrection of Christ. He loves the third verse because he loves the resurrection. We, we, we should love the third verse because of that. And in this song that I'm talking about, the King of Kings, the third verse is the resurrection. Uh, but I got to say, I love the fourth verse. The fourth verse, just part of it says, and the church of Christ was born, this is after the resurrection, and the church of Christ was born, then the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. I love it. It's just called the gospel old. It is. It's old news. But it's not false. It's not obsolete. It's true. The gospel truth of old won't kneel or faint to new ideologies or new uh, philosophies that we make up and we think that we somehow understand the world better now. The gospel is the same truth. The gospel doesn't change. We do. We have to remain in that gospel. We have to remain in the truth. And that's, that's the theme of this passage. It's John wants us to remain in the truth. And this morning, if you've never had a chance, or, or perhaps you've had many chances, and you've always neglected uh, simply choosing to remain in that truth, choosing the truth to begin with, uh, you're going to have an opportunity. As we sing one last song this morning, Matthew will come up and sing, and if you've never given your life to Christ before, and now's the moment you're kind of realizing, you know, I've not been anointed with that spirit of truth. You know, I, I've never really uh, surrendered. And, and again, this whole concept between real Christians and antichrist, the truth is you can you can be in this church, you can be here week after week, you can say all the right language because you've learned it and, and convince us as pastors that you're saved and born again and join the church and we baptize you. And you may be faking it the whole time. We don't know that, we can't tell, but you would know that. And if that's you, if you've just been faking it, don't continue in that. Don't continue in that spirit of, of the antichrist, of error. Continue in the spirit of truth. Choose today to surrender your life to Christ because you don't really have to have any fear of any antichrist if you will simply worship Christ. Because, spoiler alert, Christ beats the antichrist. Christ beats all of it, conquers all, conquers evil. That's what John talks about. 
So if you've never submitted to the Lord, do that today. Maybe you're here and you haven't been remaining very well. You're kind of shaky in your faith. Maybe when I talked about uh, people in your family who leave the faith, maybe that hit just a little too close to home and it hurt. And you, you're thinking about it, you're like, yeah, there's, there's stuff that I know is true that I don't want to believe in anymore because someone I love doesn't see it that way anymore. And it, and it, it hurts me. There's a tension there and that's painful. I know that's hard, but you have to remain. You have to choose the gospel. And so if you need to just recommit to taking a stand there on the gospel and saying, no, I'm going to recommit to the truth, no matter how much it hurts, I'm going to remain where Christ has placed me, then do that today. If you need prayer for anything, I'm going to be up here. Uh, Cole, our evangelism intern, will be up here with me. And if you need to just uh, kneel at the stage and pray or pray with us or, or even get the conversation started, maybe you're not ready to make a decision for Christ, but you need to get that conversation started, do that today. If you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray with us. And during this last song, however God moves in you, you respond. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.